Hello world, welcome back to another episode of Roped In. I'm your host, John Roper. Uh, I just got back from a family vacation in Orlando. It was an absolute blast. For those of you that haven't been to Orlando, I suggest you do. There's so many fun things. I had an amazing time spending a uh, family reunion with my mom's side of the family who are all Canadian, so we went down to the warmth. Um, but it was an absolute blast, but here I am sitting at home on vacation fatigue, so I can't promise I got a long episode for you, but I'm having fun making these episodes, as I always say, so I'm here making another one, um, episode 12 I think we're at, uh, still going strong, um, I'm getting so excited into this that I want to buy new things, um, <laughs> I bought a little desk to go up so I now have office at home and I have office bobbleheads and things, um, either way, yeah, having a lot of fun with the podcast, but I'm not going to take up too much time. Going to get right into it today. Um, on today's episode, rounding out the NFL Top 10s, I've got the Top 10 NFL Defensive Backs. Another comp, uh, segment that I'm going to be talking about is salary cap related. So I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to talk about whether I like the hard cap, the soft cap, or the no cap when it comes to salary caps and leagues. Finally, as I mentioned, I think on a few episodes ago, I think it might have been episode 6 or 7, um, the WNBA playoffs had started. Um, I talked about what I predicted as they pushed towards the playoffs, but they have started, so I'm going to do a bit of a recap and uh, my prediction on who I think is going to win it all. So, yeah, without further ado, I guess let's just dive right into it. And here we are today rounding out the segment that I've been going on for I think five or six episodes now of the top 10 position groups. And today Mike's final one, it's defensive backs. Now I know I'm combining cornerbacks and safeties into this for those that are football purists, but in my mind did the same thing with the defensive line. I combined defensive ends with defensive tackles. It kind of speeds it up. It's not a segment that I want to go dragging on for too long because I don't want it to be an NFL based podcast. Um, but yes, either way, I've got my last one here. Um, however, as all my previous episodes lately, uh, I'm actually solo today. So it's back to listening to just me and only me. Um, but I'm going to have guests on soon. I told myself that I was going to have my sister and my father on in Orlando. And then just, again, vacation got away from us. Um, and I wasn't that good with it. But stay tuned. I'm hoping to have them on, uh, if not the next episode... Uh, a very soon episode. That was bad English. If not the next episode, they're going to be on an episode soon. <laughs> um, either way, I'm not going to tie too much into that. Uh, let's just dive right into the top 10 NFL defensive backs. So my number one defensive back, I've got Sauce Gardner. Um, I, I love Sauce Gardner when he got drafted. Uh, he got drafted to the Jets. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Jets show that's going on right now. But I'm going to give the credit to Sauce Gardner. He is an amazing cornerback. Last year, uh, I think it was something like the throws that were, like, throw passes thrown his way. He only gave up 46% completion percentage. He was the top pass breakup guy. He broke up the most passes. Um, and he only allowed one reception for every 18 coverage snaps. Meaning, every time the opposing team snapped the ball, he only allowed one catch against him. Per 18 times. Put that in perspective, some quarterbacks only have 25, maybe 30 throws a game, but they're definitely not throwing 
36 and above unless they're they're really going for it. So he's really only allowing like one catch a game basically when you look at it. Um, he's six foot three. He's fast. He's a matchup nightmare, um, which is I mean weird to say in the cornerback position because usually you have tall receivers, but he's that guy that can match up against any receiver you put against him. Um, I think he's the number one cornerback in the league. Um, someone that's right close behind him that. I'll be honest, I toss with. I think Sauce Gardner gets a lot of publicity. His name's out there, which helps a lot. But number two, I've got Patrick Sertain II out of Denver. I absolutely love Pat Sertain II. I think he would easily be number one if Sauce Gardner wasn't in. Sauce Gardner would easily be number one if number one if Pat Sertain wasn't in. Um, but again, Pat Sertain is a guy that I absolutely love to watch. I think he's a bit faster than Sauce Gardner. He's six foot two. Um Puts him above the six foot range. For those that aren't crazy football fans, I'll let you know. An average height for corners around six feet. They are getting taller lately. Some receivers rolling out there are six foot four, six foot five. So if you have that five ten corner, all you gotta do is throw it up, and a good receiver can make that play. So it's nice when you see these six foot two, six foot three guys that can also keep up with the speed, and they're not just playing safety because they're slow. Um, Pat Sertain is a great coverage back, no matter whether you put it in man coverage or zone coverage. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love watching him and who knows, maybe next year he could be number one with the stats, but right now I've got him at number two. Number three is another guy who I tossed putting a little higher, but I think maybe for age or just personal preference, I had him a little lower cause I love sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertain, but my number three is Jalen Ramsey. Now I think Jalen Ramsey has been a top dog ever since he came into this league he definitely talks the talk, but as I said in the previous episode, if you talk the talk, I respect it as long as you can walk the walk, and boy, does he walk the walk. Um, he's a big, physical cornerback, um, six foot one, great tackler, if not the best tackler. Um, not that it was many matchups, or Gronk probably got the better of him and he got the better, but I remember when Jalen Ramsey came into the league, he was, in a way, an answer to Gronkowski. Gronkowski... For those that don't know, Gronkowski was an amazing tight end, um, was too athletic to be covered by a linebacker, too strong to be covered by a defensive back. Jalen Ramsey comes in the league, drafted for the Jacksonville Jaguars when they had, in my mind, the best defense in the league for a year or two. But Jalen Ramsey came in and he was the answer to Gronkowski. Now, I think Gronkowski is still a better physical specimen, but Ramsey... In my eyes, was that first guy that came in with the speed and the size, the great tackling, great interceptions. Um, he he was an island out there, always went up against the number ones. People didn't throw his way. People still don't throw his way. So that's what's tough sometimes with defensive backs when you look into the stats. And maybe why I have Jalen Ramsey so low is teams just don't throw his way so he doesn't have the opportunity to make an interception. Um, but either way, yep, yeah, Jalen Ramsey is my three. Number four is another cornerback. The guy out of Green Bay this time, it's Jair Alexander. Now, Jair Alexander uh, last year had five interceptions. Again, a a super, super shutdown cornerback. But this is now what we're starting to get into. I'm not having much question. I don't think I should have put him higher. I think those other three guys are definitely higher. Um, But Jair Alexander, he comes in now. He's 5'10", so as I said, he's one of those shorter cornerbacks, but... He doesn't let it show. He's crazy athletic, can keep up with basically any defender, knows how to read the quarterback really well. Um, 
For those that don't know the cornerback position too much, it's challenging. I talked about it in the previous episode. You you either have to judge the receiver, keep an eye on the quarterback, not looking at the receiver. And I think Jair Alexander does a really good job of kind of knowing when the ball's coming his way and knowing when to make the jump on the ball. Um, so that's why I've got him in the top five. Rounding out the top five is my first safety of the bunch. It's Minka Fitzpatrick. If I'm not mistaken, Minka Fitzpatrick actually came into the league as a cornerback and then got shifted up to the safety position. I think it was with the Dolphins. Now he's playing with the Steelers. Um, He led the league in interceptions last year with six, tied with a couple other people, but still, he led the league in interceptions with six. Um, He's another one guy. He's six foot one. He's fast. He's strong. Uh, I think he's a a great safety. That was a good job moving him out there because He's better on the zone coverage than the man coverage. And I have mentioned this, again, for those that aren't crazy football fans. Man coverage and zone coverage are similar to what they sound. Man coverage, you're lined up against your guy and you're just marking him like a mirror. You're sticking to him. You're sticking to your man. The zone coverage, you've just basically got a zone. So it's normally five, maybe a ten yard radius. Anybody comes in that area, they're your responsibility to mark. Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought, was a better zone coverage player, which is, I think, why they shifted him from cornerback to safety. And he just makes plays, makes interceptions, get tackles. Um, He's that good safety valve. (laughs) Sounds funny with the safety, but he's the guy that can just sit up top, watch the play happen, and then, boom, attack on that quarterback decision. So, yeah, I love Minka Fitzpatrick. I think he's the best safety in the league and a top five defensive back in the league. Number six, I've got another safety again. It's a safety I've always loved, but is always injured. Uh, it's Derwin James out of LA for the Chargers, not the Rams. Um, again, I think he's he's got the combination of the biggest, fastest, and strongest in my eyes of a defensive back. Um, the skill on the coverage side might not be there, but athletically, actually, I shouldn't even say that because then you're looking at people like Jeremy Chin. Um, but in terms of skill-wise as well, <laughs> yeah, Derwin James is who I have. He's a big, fast, strong hitter, six foot two, in your face, makes the plays. Um, I really like watching Derwin James. Coming in at number seven, I've got a player from my Philadelphia E A G L E S Eagles, and yes, I'm going to do that pretty much every time I'm talking about the Eagles. Uh, but yeah, the guy I've got out of that team is Darius Slay Jr. Big Play Slay. Um, he's a lockdown corner. The name Big Play Slay means a lot. I mean, he he does make the big plays. It sounds funny saying it, but it's also the key time he makes the plays. So that's, I think, what makes him so special. He knows how to pop the fumbles. He knows when to make the interceptions. He can dive across. He's fast. However, I think he might be the oldest guy on my list, um, but he's not letting it show. Um, so I absolutely love watching Darius Slay. He's a... Again, another one of those lockdown corners. That's a theme. I guess every corner I have on here is a lockdown corner. That's why they're a top 10. But either way, right after Darius Slay, I've got Marlon Humphrey Jr. I love Marlon Humphrey Jr. I think of all the names I've said, he's... I don't know, Minka's actually my favorite. But behind Minka, Marlon Humphrey is my favorite name that I've said. I loved him coming out of Alabama. If I'm correct, he's played his entire career with the Baltimore Ravens. Um... I think he's amazing. He's, again, one of those six-feet guys. I, he always goes against the the number one receiver. 
Uh, I shouldn't say always. There are times where he drops into the zone, he marks the other side, but I think he always goes against it. He's another strong guy and an amazing tackler like um, Jalen Ramsey. I think behind Jalen Ramsey, he's actually the best tackling cornerback. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love watching Marlon Humphrey play. Coming in at number nine, I've got my third and final safety on the top 10 list, and it's Buda Baker. Now, football fans are going to remember Buda Baker from the chase down tackle that DK Metcalf had. It was either last year or two years before. Um, but Buda Baker, I think, is an amazing corner. Uh, another funny one for those people, again, mainly football fans, but if you haven't watched it, go out and watch it. There is... The new Arizona Cardinals coach is the Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator. I laugh when the Cardinals signed him because in my mind, that defensive coordinator is the reason the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. I thought they could have won with better defensive play calling. Then again, Kansas City could have done things differently. But as an Eagles fan, I'm dissecting, dissecting what I, <laughs> I, I'm dissecting what the Philadelphia Eagles could have done differently, and I think a better defensive game plan would have been it. Um. But either way, the Arizona Cardinals signed him, and he had one of the most awkward handshakes I've ever seen with Buda Baker. That's the long story coming back to Buda Baker again. Um, but I absolutely love watching Buda Baker play. He's everywhere on the field, and I just love the name Buda Baker. That's why I've said it so many times. Buda Baker, Buda Baker, Buda Baker. Um, great player, makes interceptions, makes tackles, great coverage, sideline to sideline. He just blankets it all. I love watching Buda Baker play. And finally, the number 10 guy in my top 10 is Marshawn Lattimore. If I'm correct, I think he might have come out of Ohio State. Um, but either way, he is playing in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. The city of New Orleans it is. Um, Saints are a good team too. I don't want to take it away. But I love the city of New Orleans. So weirdly, I have some kind of a feeling towards him as a New Orleans Saints player. Um, but again, uh, I think Marlon... I'm sorry, Marshawn Lattimore uh, is just one of those lockdown corners. The stats might not show it too much, but it's again, it's because people don't throw his his way that much. He's, in my mind, marking the top dog receiver most of the time he's on the field. But there you have it. He's he's the final final guy in my top ten. And as I've always done, some honorable mentions. I've got Trayvon Diggs. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say it's keeping up with the theme of snubbing the Dallas Cowboys. But no, I actually just don't think Trayvon Diggs is a top 10. He makes a lot of interceptions. He's a big player. He, he, he makes the highlight plays. However, what's not seen in the highlight plays is there's also the opposite. And he blows coverage a lot. There are some times where he makes the highlight play because he blows the coverage. Or he just completely blows it. Um... I don't think he's a great man cornerback, which is probably why I have him so far down. Maybe he should be in there because, yes, he does get a lot of interceptions, but I just have Trayvon Diggs just out. And the other honorable mention, I don't think he's near the top 10. I just want to see him be a top 10 player. He's a safety. It's Kyle Hamilton. I loved him coming out of Notre Dame. Again, he's another six foot four, maybe six foot five safety. Crazy athletic. He's playing over there in Baltimore with Marlon Humphrey. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Kyle Hamilton, and I am um, very, very excited to see where he goes with everything. And here we are for segment two of today's episode. Um, thank you for staying with me. I know the episodes are probably a little bit more boring with just me, but it is my podcast, and sometimes I 
one, struggle finding guests, but two, also just lose track of time and vacations and things get in the way and I just don't get to recording with somebody else. So you're stuck with just me, but I'm now going to be talking about salary cap stuff. So I know I have some listeners, friends, and family who are not the biggest sports fans, but are listening to this regardless, and thank you so much. You guys are the reasons why I try to explain it, because it also helps me open it up to a broader audience. But I'm going to be explaining salary cap and leagues. So for those that don't fully know, obviously every person has a salary that they make. Um, but teams have a salary cap. Now the name sounds, I mean, is pretty explain. That's a tough English word. The name is basically what it is. So you have a limit, a cap on how much you can spend on your roster. Uh, I, I really like the salary cap in leagues. Um, but I'm now going to explain in a way three different levels. There might be a lot more to salary caps that I don't know, but there's kind of three different levels of salary caps. But before I dive into the three different types, let's just get into it. So if I'm correct, it was the NBA that first initiated a salary cap into their leagues. Now keep in mind, a lot of what I'm going to be saying is North American leagues. Cause that's a lot of what I watch. So the NBA in the 1984, 85 season implemented this salary cap. Now again, salary cap te- keeps teams from going absolutely crazy in the offseason um, and during free agency and just signing whoever they want. There are ways around a salary cap with things like a signing bonus. So again, those that aren't crazy sports fans, a signing bonus also happens in other professions, but it's basically an upfront amount that you're going to get just for signing the contract with that team. So, to put this into an example, I'm throwing out random numbers. NFL is going to have a $200 million salary cap on your team. $50 million is going to go to my quarterback. Now, I can make that just in a weekly salary, and he's going to have a fat paycheck every week, and it's going to be $50 million over the span of that year. That kind of weekly cap is what goes against your salary cap. Now, where the signing bonus comes into handy is... It's also towards the salary cap, but it's not as as upfront. Um, very, very little upfront. But basically, the same quarterback that's going to get fifty million dollars weekly. I mean, sorry, fifty million dollars over the span of a year. I'm actually going to give him thirty million dollars upfront, and then he's going to get paid twenty million dollars over that span of the year. So instead of fifty million counting towards my salary cap, it's only twenty million counting towards my salary cap. Now, I know what you're going to say. Why not just do a bonus to everybody? Reason being, the bonus is upfront, And as we've all seen in every profession, some people, once they get the bag, once they get that money, they don't care as much. But it's also, you never know what's going to happen. Football is a contact sport. Um, hockey's a contact sport. There's, there's a lot of these ones out there that you can get injured in a snap. So are you going to give a $50 million bonus to a quarterback for him to get injured in practice potentially never play for you. And then now you're out $50 million. Um, so that's where people don't just throw huge bonuses. Other ways around it is there's also incentive bonuses. So it's just small little ways that, that cut on that weekly salary, which cuts towards your salary cap for the entire year. Now the salary cap affects in my mind, Everything when it comes down to jersey sales, ticket sales. If you think about it, if a team could pay whatever they want to all their players, they're going to charge you more. 
if Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, can pay his team whatever he wants, you bet your butt he's going to be charging more tickets to afford the players that he wants to get. Um, you see it a little bit in the English Premier League. Chelsea ticket is a crazy amount more than a Luton Town ticket because Luton Town, one, isn't as popular, but two, they don't need as much of a revenue. So, actually, maybe I'm not getting too crazy into that because Luton can't charge that much, but either way. The more the owner spends, the more the owner is going to charge. Therefore, I like a salary cap because it is going to stop the ticket pricing and the jersey pricing and all those other crazy things that owners can affect from just hiking right up there so they can just pay what they want to pay. Another reason I like it is, I'm going to get into it later, but you see Saudi League and those people that just throw money everywhere. And in my mind, it, I don't know, it ruins the integrity of the game. Either way, now what I'm going to get into is those three different tiers and the three different levels of the salary cap that I had talked about earlier. So again, those that aren't crazy sports fans, thank you so much for still sticking around. Um, first one, there is hard cap. Now, the terms I might not be fully correct on, but it's the terms that me, sorry, that I and a lot of my friends know and will understand. So there's a hard cap. Hard cap means... As it also kind of suggests, you can't go over it. It's hard. It's a roof. It's a wall. No getting past it. So, as I mentioned, we're going to pick that same $200 million example. An NFL team has a $200 million salary cap. No exceptions around it. You cannot spend $200 million in a penny. You have to spend less. Um, now, NFL is one of those leagues that has a hard cap. I believe the NHL is also a hard cap salary league in terms of the North American sports. Now, where NFL comes in handy is they have a thing called revenue sharing. So, the teams from around the league, they'll all share in their revenue. Okay, that's a bad explanation because obviously it's in the name. The jersey sales, the ticket sales, everything that goes around all the league goes into a pot and it gets divvied up and shared around the league. And the NFL also has a hard salary cap floor, so it just doesn't allow teams to tank and owners to just, oh, I'm going to profit off all these revenue sharing but not spend a salary cap. It's, nope, you've got to put something out there entertainment-wise for the fans. At the end of the day, it's an entertainment business, and if there's somebody out there that's deliberately trying to not entertain, they shouldn't be in the league. And that's why I think they have that hard salary floor. So again, say it's a $200 million, you can't spend less than $100 million for your salary. Um, I like that rule as well to go along with the revenue sharing. I'm more of an NFL fan, so I don't know if NHL has a similar kind of thing. But some of the down effects of the hard cap as well is it does limit, in a way, where owners can go. Some owners want to pay their players all the, all the money they can. They just can't because of the cap, and it causes lockouts. NHL had one in 04 and 05. I think they had one in like 2011, 2012 that might not have lasted the whole season. But it's things like a hard cap that do affect a lockout where players say, I'm not going to play. You need to pay me more. I deserve more. And all the players stand to it. It's like a strike. Um, so yes, that's the hard cap. And again, NFL and NHL are the two teams that that have those, those rules in place. Another type is a soft cap league. Now, again, with the North American ones, the two that I know with the soft cap league are NBA and the Major League Soccer, MLS. So, what the soft cap is, I'm sticking with this $200 million, but you can actually go above it. However, the more you go above it, you get what's called a luxury tax. So, it's 
it's kind of like there's a limit, but it's more like a paper limit that you can tear through and there's just a penalty if you tear through it. Um, so where the luxury tax goes, and again, I know more about the NBA, so I'm going to talk about it. Maybe MLS is similar, but there's a luxury tax. So however much of an increment you spend above the salary cap, you have to pay what's called a luxury tax to the NBA. So if your salary is $250 million and I've stuck to my $200 million salary cap, but you're paying $250 million, you're now $50 million over the salary cap limit and have to pay the NBA a fine for doing that. I kind of like this because where it allows is if there is an owner out there that says, hey, I want to put a show for my players and I want to get the best players in the world on my team, it allows them to spend on there. But there's a penalty to it. So there's they're not just going to go crazy to it because, I mean, you still got money. It's still a profit. There's still things you need to do at the end of the day. You're not going to lose money on the business. As much as people want their owners to spend all the money they can, no owner is going to lose money to put a, put a good team out there. So the luxury tax prevents things like that. Now, where the luxury tax comes in hand, I said it got paid to the NBA, doesn't just go into the commissioner's pocket. This is what I really like about the NBA. It goes into a pool that I don't know if it's perfectly evenly split. I'm sure the NBA makes something out of this to also pay for everything else the NBA does in terms of logistics-wise. But teams that don't go over the salary cap will get money back from the NBA from the teams that do. So teams like the Golden State Warriors, who have paid luxury tax for however many years, I'm sure some of that money went towards, say, the Sacramento Kings, who didn't go over the salary cap. Um, so that's also the incentive to, okay, maybe there is something to not going over the luxury tax because I could actually make a little bit of money. I also like this because of the big market and small market aspect of leagues. A big market team can afford to do luxury tax because they can afford to charge the ticket prices and the jerseys and all those things a little bit more. Now, Teams like Golden State who live in beautiful California and have Steph Curry, big market, everybody wants to play there. They'll go over the luxury tax. Then you have the teams like, say, Utah or I shouldn't say Sacramento now because I absolutely love watching Sacramento now. But they're in a small market. Um, It allows them to, to make money back from it and not just get hit. It's also the star players are going to want to play on the big teams. So it allows teams like Utah to get a small silver lining like, dang, I'm never going to get a LeBron James. But at least I can make a little bit of money off the team that has LeBron James. I don't know if MLS is the same, but again, that's how the NBA soft cap works. Finally, there's a no cap um, in terms of salary caps, meaning you can spend whatever you want. The MLB, I'm pretty sure, is like this. Um, European soccer, EPL fan myself, so I know for sure that's it. Owners can spend whatever they want to get the player they have. Go for it, bud. Money talks. I'm personally, I'm torn on this one. I'm not the biggest fan of this one because it just, the same teams are going to always win. Um, No offense, I have a lot of friends who are New York Yankees fans, but New York Yankees are always going to win because New York Yankees are always going to have the money. Um, (laughs) I'd say the same with Chelsea. They have crazy money, but we suck this year. But things like Man City, they have the money, they're not afraid to spend it, and they're always going to dominate because of the money that they can bring in. And they, they don't have to worry about, ooh, I, I, I can't lose this star because I need to pay this star next year. It's like, no, I'll just pay them all because I have the money to do it. Um, 
So yeah, those are kind of the three types. There's the half cap, hard cap, the soft cap, and the no cap. Now, my personal favorite after describing this all is the soft cap. Um, again, for reasons I've said, it allows players and, I mean, owners and, and officials, uh, team officials, to, to put that big show out there for their fans and spend the money if they really want to. But if they do, there is a luxury tax that goes to the teams that don't. Now, it's tricky because I also don't like owners that will buy a team, not spend the salary cap just so they can make money back off that. But I like the soft cap because I do I do like the idea of there being a limit, don't get me wrong. But I don't like the hard cap because it's, I don't know, it's tricky. I say I like the idea of a limit, but I don't, the hard cap produces more lockout related incidents in my mind because players can't get paid you have one or two owners that want to pay players 27 other owners that don't those one or two owners are handcuffed which in a way will hurt the players on their team i think if there's an owner out there that wants to throw his money into it why not i just don't like the idea of there not being any because then you see things like the saudi league or just that that kind of fu money the oil money that just they're going to dominate the the leagues forever um, but there you have it. Thank you for sticking with this one. Um, it, it, it's not the biggest sports topic in the world right now, but it's one of the things that I've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, so there you have it. <laughs> I did. And here we are with the third and final segment of the day. It's another three segment episode because it's just me and only me talking and I can't talk for that long about one topic. I mean, I can, but again, maybe that's something I'll do in later episodes of, of having more series where I dive into a certain topic a little bit more, but either way, my third topic is the WNBA playoffs. Now, I think it was six or seven episodes. I talked about the playoff push. Now the playoffs are already happening. We're, we're done. The semifinals We're on to the final stage. Um, but I'm going to be talking about a little bit of review things, but before I get into it, I do want to give a shout out and a congratulations to Brianna Stewart. Now it's funny that I say giving a shout out, she's probably never going to listen to this, but if she does, you got a shout out for me, Brianna Stewart. She's the MVP of the WNBA. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I might've said Asia Wilson was going to take it, but I know I had Brianna Stewart in the argument and the battle for uh, MVP. So I'm glad that that one came true. Uh, but either way, it's not all about the MVP. Congratulations to Brianna Stewart. We are now talking about the WNBA playoffs. So it started a few weeks ago. Um, if I'm correct, the number one game was the number one seeded Vegas Aces against the number eight seeded Chicago Sky. I'm just going to kind of break down the series and go along. So that was the first series. One versus eight. Easy sweep. Vegas Aces rocked it. Asia Wilson... Um, two 30-point games. I think she had a 38-point game, which is her career high to win game two. Um, but two easy blowouts of the number eight seed to, to get that sweep. Second series was the number two-ranked New York Liberty versus the number seven-ranked Washington Mystics. I like the Washington Mystics mainly because of one player, Elena Deladon. She is an amazing WNBA player, and I've loved watching her for a super long time now. Um, if I'm correct, she was on Chicago Sky before. Uh, yeah, she definitely was because she has a dog named Wrigley. Uh, I don't know if it's from Wrigley Field, um, but either way. Uh, it was the number seven Washington against the number two New York Liberty. And New York Liberty 
also had a sweep. Um, they won their first series, though, for the first time since 2015, which is big. Uh, New York basketball, I think, needed it because the Knicks and the Nets, not that they haven't won series, but they're not fighting for championships anytime soon. I love the Nets. I actually think what they're building, they, they are one or two pieces away from getting to the finals. East isn't that tough. Um, but either way, New York Liberty won uh, another sweep 2015. Or, sorry, their first series win since 2015. Now, the third series is the third-ranked Connecticut Sun against the six-seeded Minnesota Lynx. Uh, this was the only non-sweep series, but Connecticut Sun did win that one 2-1. Um, two games to one. That's one thing that I'm not a huge fan of with the WAB. I didn't mention this before, but I don't like that it's a best of three. Um, maybe you could say things that it doesn't need to be a game of seven. I think it should be best of seven, just like the men's. But if you're not, at least do the first and second rounds best out of five with the finals best out of seven. Like, make it a show. Make it a competition. It's exciting to watch. Um, either way, again, the Connecticut Sun won 2-1. And they advanced to their fifth straight semifinals. For those of you that did not remember, Connecticut Sun is home to my future wife, Rebecca Allen. Um... Now we're moving on to the 4th-ranked Dallas Wings um, versus the 5th-ranked Atlanta Dream. I'm going to be fully honest with you. I don't want to lie. I don't know much about either of these two teams. Arike Ogunbowale is the big star on Dallas Wings, and she brought her team to another sweep, um, which was actually Dallas's first series win since relocating to Dallas in 2016. Um Another big thing that Dallas did, they were the first team in WNBA history to have seven of their players have double-digit score, score in double digits in a game, in the playoffs. So, um, I think that was a really cool feature. And again, Dallas sweeps 2 nothing to move on to those semifinals. However, they ran up against the number one ranked Las Vegas Aces. Again, the Las Vegas Aces did another sweep. It's now their third final in four years. Asia Wilson continued to dominate in that series. Um, there was only one game where she dropped below 30 points. So three out of her first four games, she has 30 points. And again, not much needs to be said there. The Las Vegas Aces are just a super team and swept the Dallas Wings in the semifinals. New York Liberty, um, the number two ranked seed, now goes up against the number three ranked seed, um, Connecticut Sun. This one... Also brought to a game three. New York won this one 2-1. Um, again, the one thing that I remembered watching from the, one of the matches is my future wife, Rebecca Allen, had a really good game in the one game that the Connecticut Sun won. But I do think that New York is just too talented. They've got the MVP. They've got a great roster. Um, so yeah, they won it 2-1 and they've moved on to the finals. Now, the finals... As art of deduction goes, are now the number one ranked Las Vegas Aces versus the number two ranked New York Liberty. Good to see that one versus two is happening. It's the two best teams in the league. And if I'm correct, it is what I predicted. Um, this series is going to start October 8th, so it's next Sunday. Um, I think Las Vegas is going to win that series. I do think New York Liberty has a lot of skilled players. I think Vegas Aces just have a bit more. They have more of a complete team. They have the experience. Again, it's their third finals in four years. They know what they're doing. Nobody can really stop them. Um, I think the Las Vegas Aces are going to be the champions. And yeah, I don't think there's much question about it. I think a lot of people do. 
So there you have it. That's what's happened so far in the WNBA playoffs and what I think will happen. Again, go Aces. And there you have it, the end of another episode. Again, it was just me. I'm going to have guests on some future episodes. I just poo-pooed with the time while I was on vacation, didn't do it with my father there, and then I had vacation fatigue, got away from me, so didn't have a Zoom call with him today, but we'll hopefully have one this week so he can be on Sunday's episode. Um, Either way, thank you very much for listening to another episode. Again, I'm coming back from Orlando. Oh, I forgot to mention, I'm going to mention it. Um, for those of you that were curious, I think I brought it up in one of the episodes, but I brought my father to a Philadelphia Eagles game in Tampa Bay where the Eagles kicked absolute butt. But it was such an amazing experience. We were five rows from the field. Um, I got a I got a picture with an Eagles fanatic fan, one guy that I see every week. That was really, really cool. Um, but again, I had an absolute blast there. And again, just going to give a shout out to my family. For those of you that are listening, it's the family on my mom's side that we had a reunion with. Um, so much fun spending time with you guys. And uh, a lot of you um, ha- have said you've thought about listening. Some of you have listened. But the support that I got while I was there means a whole load. Um, but I'm not going to get too crazy into the family vacation. Um, thank you all for listening. And look out for next week's episode. And as always, Hakuna Matata. <laughs>